4: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: The system's coming for Joe Biden and Joe Biden's getting nastier about it. We'll talk about that tonight. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Tucker about all kinds of madness. What's taking place in the house? Are we about to get screwed again? Yes, all that's coming up tonight, on I'm right. Joe Biden's nasty. He's getting nastier, And let me me explain what I'm talking about. Joe Biden's mean. He always has been mean. He's been a mean politician his entire career. The media sold everyone a bill of goods in 2020 when they were telling everybody, look at the nice old guy, Papa Joe, he likes ice cream and little kids a lot. But anyway, Joe's been a jerk forever. He's been a jerk to people on camera, I have the benefit, or I don't even know if you call it a benefit, of knowing a lot of people on Capitol Hill, House, Senate, so on and so forth. And I'll tell you a little inside baseball, behind the scenes, when the cameras are off, Joe Biden's a jerk and always has been. Treats his staff like like crap, treats people like crap. So we're used to Joe Biden being a little mean, but he's been extra mean recently, almost angry. Now, Let's talk about the why, because it's important for you and me as American citizens. Is it you and I? I don't know, went to community college. Anyway, as American citizens, it's important for us to understand why is our president so mean? First, let's deal with his political reputation. Now, understand, everybody's ambitious on some level, right? Maybe your goal is to be the best mom ever. Maybe you wanna be the best accountant ever. Maybe you want to be the best baseball player. I don't know, but people have ambition. When you're a politician like Joe Biden, whether you're a uh, city councilman or a senator, no matter who you are, everybody dreams of being president one day. Anybody who wants to get elected dreams of being president of the United States one day. But here's the problem with being president one day. It's risky because you need to be president and have a decent reputation and serve two terms, or you go from, wow, that guy was president, to more, I don't know, think of like a Jimmy Carter. Oh, yeah. Remember when he was president? Joe Biden has worked his entire life, cheated, lied, stole, done everything humanly possible his entire life, to be president one day. And now he's finally president of the United States of America. But here's the problem for Joe Biden. Joe Biden got elected at a time when communists now run the Democrat party, in fact, run the entire United States government and everyone around him, all his people, they're all committed communists and they're all hell bent on destroying the country. So there was no way Joe Biden's presidency was ever going to be popular or ever going to work. After all, is there a popular way somebody could walk into your home and set it on fire tonight? It was always gonna be a disaster. The border was always gonna be open. The economy was always gonna go to crap. That's what communists do, they destroy things. So Joe Biden's facing the prospect of getting reelected or more specifically not being reelected because he's so incredibly unpopular. Even CNN has an electoral map out showing Joe Biden getting curb stomped in 2024. JP Morgan, the finance giant, they even sell themselves as being nonpartisan. They're saying Joe Biden's gonna drop out after Super Tuesday. And so that's a little bit of why Joe Biden seems so angry. That's a little bit of why Joe Biden gave a speech today at a church in South Carolina, and it sounded like this. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate, rage,
6: propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison. A poison that's for too long haunted this nation. But what is that poison? White supremacy.
5: Oh, it is. It's a poison throughout our history. It's ripped this nation apart. Okay, so so we'll get to the white supremacy part of that here in just a moment. But understand, I said there was was a few different reasons why Joe Biden's so angry. He's watching his legacy fall apart. He's watching the prospect of being reelected fall apart. That hurts when that was your goal your whole life. That's one. Two, he has dementia. Everybody can see it. Everyone knows it. And people who have dementia, sadly get really, 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 really nasty. It's part of what makes it such a vicious, vicious thing. You end up treating everyone, not just the public. You treat everyone like crap. It's something that makes people angry. That's two. Three, these people hate you. And now they're at a place, we're at a place as a country where they feel as if they're so in control, they feel so secure about their power Now they feel comfortable telling you they hate you. They feel very, very comfortable. And remember, this is new. This is not normal for a president to blast the supporters of the other party. That has really not happened much in the history of this country, yet this president will get up and call you a Nazi endlessly.
6: He calls those who oppose him vermin. He talks about the blood of America being poisoned, echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. We must be clear, democracy is on the ballot. Your freedom is on the ballot. So, knowing how his mind works now, he had one one act left, one desperate act available to him, the violence of January the 6th since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively, to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison.
5: Joe Biden's angry. Joe Biden's bragging about locking you up in prison. Joe Biden's watching it all come apart in front of his eyes. Now I want to focus on the Nazi white supremacist things. I promised you I would a couple clips ago and now you heard the Nazi stuff. Let's, Let's talk about this. Here's something the Democrats, here's some of the internal politics Democrats are facing for 2024. They went down to a church today. It was all about white supremacy and evil, white supremacists and Nazis and your evil. Let me prepare you for a lot of that in 2024, why? Well, remember these people, these political people, people like Joe Biden, he's a pro at this. There's no humanity left inside of them. There's no soul. There's nothing, virtually nothing, unless he stubbed his toe, you could never get Joe Biden to shed a genuine tear about something. There's nothing, there's none of that left inside of them. None of that. So you have to understand that one. two. Because of that, everything is just about power. Every person they meet is somebody they can use for more power when they talk about elections. Elections and the electorate, the citizens of this country, are simply divided up into friends, potential friends, enemies, friends who have to be coddled, enemies who have to be locked up. That's how they look at people. There's no humanity inside of them. And one of the demographics Democrats rely on in this country is black people. Black people have traditionally voted over 90% for Democrats. And so that's, that's something most people know. But what a lot of people don't realize is this, Democrats bank on that. They, take that. they take the black vote and they put it in the sure thing column. These black people, they are a sure thing. We're gonna get 90% and national elections are so close They need that to stay 90%. It has to stay 90%. If it even drops down to 80, it's not like Republicans are about to win the black vote, but if it even drops down to 80, Democrats electorally will get wiped out across the board, all 50 states. They have to have that 90%. They have to bank on black people voting Democrat. But black people are angry with the Democrat Party because of the illegal immigration. It's flooding into the poor black neighborhoods, taking away their services, taking up their schools, taking things up, they're angry about it, and they're very concerned about holding that 90% number. Therefore, you're about to hear more open anti-white racism from Democrats in 2024 than you've ever heard in your life. And that will be what they consider to be Democrat outreach. You remember when Joe Biden famously stood in front of all those black people and told them Mitt Romney wanted to put them back in chains. You rolled your eyes and you groaned and you thought that was ridiculous. That was an appetizer compared to what's coming this year. Get ready for a whole lot more of that. And get ready for a lot of January 6th talk. Not just from the Bidens, from the media where uh, Jonathan Capehart, (coughs)
0: he cried on TV. Thank you for what you did three years ago today. (laughs) Um, Please tell me
7: your thoughts um, on this third anniversary.
3: Um. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals,
5: Thank you for what you did. <laughs> all right, so why all, the, why all the January 6th stuff? Well, there's another even uglier side of what you're about to see in 2024. Good old-fashioned intimidation. Political intimidation, intimidating your political enemies is not new. This has been around for a very long time. It's something communists specialize in. But we've already had political prisoners in this country for three years. Why do you think Democrats brought one of their main henchmen, Matthew Graves, up to a podium and promised there would be more to come?
11: We have used our prosecutorial discretion to primarily focus on those who entered the building or those who engaged in violent or corrupt conduct on Capitol grounds. But if a person knowingly entered the restricted area without authorization, they had already committed a federal crime. Make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in, in the first place.
5: This is going to be an ugly time in America. I've warned you about this. This is probably going to make you uncomfortable, but I am right. But I'm more, I've warned you about this over and over again. 2024 is going to shock even me, the things these people are planning the things these people are going to do in order to hold on to power. And arresting their political enemies, that's just basic communism. That's how tyrants have always operated and what you're going to see next year and in the years to come, it's going to be ugly, all right? Let's prepare ourselves for it. Let's talk to Jeffrey Tucker about this and so much more. He has many thoughts. We'll talk to him about it next. Now, there's one more thing. All these evil people who are hell-bent on destroying everything, they also run the monetary system. They're the ones printing trillions in unbacked currency. You know we're going to talk later on in the show about yet another GOP cave, more trillions out the door, your dollar being destroyed in front of your eyes. It's not like it's being done in hiding. It's not like you have to take my word for it. You go to the grocery store, you see what they're doing. Do you have... Something to protect yourself with financially? Do you have gold? Do you have silver? In your physical possession. I'm not talking about gold bars like Bob Menendez. Do you have gold coins, silver coins? Everyone should have something. That's basic. Do you have it in your retirement? Call Oxford Gold Group. They will handle it all for you, and they handle it with ease. That's what I love about them. They make it easy. 833-995-GOLD or go to oxfordgoldgroup.com slash free. Don't get caught with your pants down. Get a hold of Oxford Gold Group. We'll be back.
6: We have to make our choice. I know mine, and I believe I know America's. We'll defend the truth, not give in to the big lie will embrace the Constitution of the Declaration, not abandon it.
5: Seems so angry. Joining me now, the great Jeffrey A. Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. In, Institute, sorry, Jeffrey, uh, obviously it was an angry speech. What I've tried to explain to people over and over again is they should get ready for a lot of that in 2024. That's clearly going to be the strategy. He has nothing to sell, so he's gonna sell locking you up in prison.
7: I think you're right. This was a chance for him to lay out an agenda and unfortunately—well, an agenda and a tone. And unfortunately, what we found out is that it's all about enemyizing most of the country, certainly all Trump supporters, uh, as basically insurrectionists. That's what the theme of the of the thing was. It wasn't just that Trump's an insurrectionist, is that all of his supporters are too. The rebels. They're dissidents. They're enemies of the state. Uh, but it was even slightly more intense than that. I listened to it, uh, rather alarmed to, to find out that he's using support of him as the test of patriotism, the test of loyalty, and the test of uh, your allegiance to democracy itself. And you know, I wrote in this in this Twitter post that somehow managed to get a million views. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> the mysteries of, of X, right? but that i got a strong chernenko vibes from him now chernenko was the fourth successor to stalin you know after Khrushchev, brezhnev and Dropov, then came chernenko right before gorbachev and you know at that late stage in the soviet in soviet history uh, everything was falling apart, and everybody sort of knew this. I mean, the system was collapsing. Nobody liked it. Um, they were beso- bes- the whole system was solved beso- with problems, economic collapse, the d- disenfranchisement, sadness all around. They still claimed to be a democracy. And how could they have done that? Well, uh, the message of all these successors to Stalin was repeatedly that all your problems are due to non-compliance. They were because communism and democracy had enemies within that were preventing them from achieving their goals. So their number one goal is to keep them out of power. And so far as they're able to do that, therefore, democracy was preserved. Now as a kid, I could never understand this. I, mean, I always thought it was so bizarre. How can they claim to be a democracy when they don't have fair elections? Now I'm getting it. And Biden just made it really clear the other day. He. Uh, represents democracy. His power is democracy, and he's doing you a favor by uh, preventing you from supporting anybody but himself. I mean, that is really essentially uh, the message that he broadcast. And by the way, that was that was the whole of the message, right? So you didn't hear anything about the problems of of crime or homelessness or learning loss or inflation or the you know the gradual decline of the cities. The demoralization of the American public, uh, the loss of civil liberties, censorship—I mean, you name it. I mean, wow. Immigration. Let's not call it immigration. Rampaging towards the border, and a party in power that lets everybody come across, as they hope to be able to count them in in the census, to counter um, uh, the uh, immigration trends to to the red states. Right. That's what's really going on here. And everybody knows it. What I, I didn't say anything just then that anybody really disputes anybody with who's who's informed, but not one of those issues was mentioned in this long-winded speech. It was 100% uh, about the enemy within that we all had to rally around the great dictator to keep him in power uh, so that we could preserve uh, you know, the America as we know it, as, as he understands it. And I wrote there that it reminds me of yeah, basically, the, the theme and, and plot of every dystopian novel from Anthem to Hunger Games to, uh, to the, uh, A Bug's Life, right? I mean, it's always about some big shot with power warning you about the terrible, terrible threat that's all around you and why you need to never question his judgment and he's saving you from the bad thing. In this case, uh, the pestilence of MAGA supporters. That, that was really the whole
3: of it.
5: Jeffrey, it's very easy in this day and age. Uh, we all fall into it. It's not an age thing where everything's now. Everything, everything's on your phone. Everything, we all live in the moment. And I think it's easy for people to forget that demonizing your political opponent's supporters.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals.
5: is very new in this country. Politicians have always thrown poop at each other since the history of politics. But in America, this really kind of started with Obama, a little bit of that deplorable talk from Hillary. Uh, Now, this is the norm from Biden. You never heard this before these days from Republicans or Democrats. You would always say that guy's the antichrist. That's not new. But you never said that guy and the people who support him They're the enemy. This is a new age, and a dangerous age. I don't think people realize how new this is.
7: Uh, So I agree with everything you just said, and I think you're right. Uh, uh, The the biggest complaint in the past that we heard about American uh, political culture was that there's too many negative ads (laughs) and too many sound bites, right? But there is a presumption, there always has been in this country, that uh, we did live in a democratic system that the people ultimately control, and that the people should be in charge of, of picking their leaders. And the leaders recognize the deal that they wouldn't go into office with an expectation that they would uh, hold power forever and use the power of the state to keep their opponents at bay. Um, but I, it's not clear that that is even a supposition anymore. Based on the speech I saw with, with Biden, I'm not sure that he's really ready and willing to accept the terms of of civic engagement that we've always had in this country. It seems like something else. I mean, he's genuinely saying, basically, if we let this guy in the ballot and if you vote for him, then you're an enemy of America and you're an insurrectionist. Um, you know, the, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very concerned about that. And by the way, there's not a word I said that's some sort of partisan. Uh, talking point here. You know, I mean, like, I don't need to tell you that I've been in vain against many aspects of of Trump and MAGAhood, you know, for as long as I can remember, you know, dating back eight years, right? So this is not about that. This is actually a serious attack on the fundamental uh, liberties and uh, political liberties of the American people. And there's several aspects of this that worry me. Like one of the ways they're keeping Trump off the ballot is uh, by citing uh, Section 3 of Article uh, 14, which forbids um, revolutionaries and insurrectionists from taking office. Now that's a bit of an anachronism, you know, because it dates back to the Civil War. Is in effect repealed by further uh, legislation in Congress that that basically granted amnesty to all the uh, Confederate um, secessionists. So they're resurrecting this thing, I think, only for the second time since uh, in, the, in the postbellum days. But if you look at Section 3, there's also a line in there that says that it's not just insurrectionists that are forbidden from, from taking office, they're, they're legally deprecated, but also those who aid and abet them. Okay, now, I, I, I want, don't call me crazy here, but given the, the legal interpretations of the Biden administration these days, it's not too much of a stretch to imagine that in the months ahead, even before the November elections, that that aid and abetting clause of Section 3 will be invoked to against all Trump supporters. I mean, like if you have retweeted Trump or celebrated Trump or praised him on, on X on social media somewhere, maybe that's evidence that you're aiding and abetting the enemy. That's how far we've come. And that, by the way, that is not a big stretch. Look what they did all to, to the, the one million plus that people that are gathered on January 6th. I mean, if you happen to be there, I mean, you know, you're you're not sleeping well at night because you don't know when the next knock of the door is coming. Yeah, so the, it's serious. These people are spending uh, a very long time in um, pre pretrial pr- prison, you know, just for their political views, uh, awaiting investigation and and judgment. Uh, without attorneys to represent them, so this is this is this is real. This these are not just political talking points anymore. We're faced. I'm sorry to say, right now, with with something something that's fundamentally un-American, something we've never seen in this country, which is you know just the full de- demonization of uh, political competition itself. That seems to be what's at stake. I say that. I've checked myself again and again. Am I thinking? You know, am I getting too pessimistic? Am I being too extreme here? Um, But I don't think so. It seems like your most pessimistic uh, prognostications in the last year have, you know, just wait a few months and they become true. (laughs) And you wonder how you could have been so naive. So I think the speech by Biden is a really dangerous omen for what we're going to be experiencing between now and November. Yeah.
5: I'm I'm worried you're correct, my friend. Jeffrey, we didn't even get to the COVID stuff. You're gonna to have to come back soon. I ran out of time. Jeffrey Tucker, you are the best. Thank you so much. Look, it's not just me saying it. This is gonna be a, a bumpy year. We're gonna hang on and enjoy the ride, right? All right, don't worry, we're not done. Let's talk about the useless GOP getting ready to sell us down the river again. We'll talk to a, a decent member of the GOP next before we get to that talk about this your timeshare I hear from people all the time now because everyone knows I'm partners with Lone Star Transfer and I hear from people they call and they complain or they email and they complain Jesse I can't even get in my timeshare anymore it's one of the most common complaints they're all booked up all the time and they're doubling fees annual fees have doubled in some cases special assessments people are done with it but they think they're stuck in their timeshare forever And when they call, they're mad. Oh, sorry, sir, we're all booked up for the next 5,000 years. Okay, I'd like out. Well, nope, sorry, you can't do that either. You sign the contract, then they don't know what to do. You hang up the phone, you yell at your your dog, and you go outside. You don't have to yell at your dog. Leave your dog alone. Call Lone Star Transfer and get out of that timeshare. Legally and permanently. This family business will legally and permanently get you out of your timeshare forever. They guarantee it. 99% 99% of the time, Lone Star Transfer gets you out. they put it in writing. Be done with the timeshare. Say goodbye to it. Call them. 844-310-2646 or lonestartransfer.com. We'll be back. Well, I hope... When the Congressman joins us next, he's gonna tell me what I am about to say is wrong and it's not gonna happen, but it was reported over the weekend, you know, you can get into dangerous territory whenever you get into that, it was reported stuff, that new House Speaker Mike Johnson came to a tentative agreement with Chuck Schumer on a $1.6 trillion bill of your money. So while you're paying $6 a pound for burger, Apparently nothing is going to slow down at all in Washington, DC, but let's hope I was misinformed. Joining me now, the new chairman of the wonderful House Freedom Caucus, basically the only people who are worth anything in Washington, DC, Bob Good of the great state of Virginia. Congressman, okay, uh, tell me what I heard was wrong and that was false reporting of fake news.
12: Well, Jesse, great to be with you and I wish I could tell you that you were wrong, but you were right as you typically are and unfortunately it's closer to $1.7 trillion. So last year's omnibus spending bill that we all criticized so much, rightfully so, that was some $1.64 trillion. This would be $1.66 trillion, so about $20 billion higher. So we will be the Republican majority that has increased spending year over year by about $20 billion. without any exchange of policy wins. So there's two components to spending bills. One, how much money you're spending, or in this case, borrowing. And then secondly, how you're spending the money, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're spending those dollars towards. And uh, there's no reason to believe we're going to have any significant policy wins since we haven't in the past year.
5: Okay. Can you help all of us, myself included, understand something? Mike Johnson, I've had Mike Johnson on this show before. I know Mike Johnson to be a, a... principled human being from what I know of him and a staunch conservative, and he has been utterly useless in his 15 minutes as Speaker of the House and has got us nothing. Did something happen to Mike Johnson when he walked into the Speaker's office? Did did they do some kind of a lobotomy there? This is not the Mike Johnson I know.
12: Well, admittedly, we don't have a lot that we can hang our hat on or a lot that we can point to in terms of uh, successful uh, things that have been done in the past. Uh, two and a half months or so since he has been speaker, uh, I, I would point to the Israel supplemental, standing our ground on that one that, hey, had to be a standalone, it had to be paid for, it wasn't going to be hijacked by funding for Ukraine, you know, almost $100 billion had nothing to do with Israel. That was a win. Releasing more of the January 6 tapes, that was a win. Standing strong so far on HR2 as our border security policy, that is a, a modest win so far that's been held to. Uh, but there's been failures. There's the, the continuing resolution that was similar to the one that was passed 30 days prior. Uh, there was the NDAA, which uh, was a, basically a Democrat bill without the Republican policy changes. There was the FISA extension, uh, which uh, didn't have the reforms that were necessary. It was just reauthorizing FISA for another 90 days or so uh, without the changes to protect our constitutional freedoms. And then there is this agreement, which is higher than the FRA Failed Responsibility Act from last summer that he voted against and most of us voted against, uh, or at least most conservatives voted against, I should say, and that we railed against, but this is some $70 billion higher than the FRA, the debt limit increase that was last summer. Uh, And again, we don't have the policy wins uh, in terms of, you know, gosh, if you're gonna spend more money, at least be accomplishing Republican prior uh, policy objectives instead of the Democrat policies that were in place from last year.
5: Is the House Freedom Caucus getting more powerful? Because Lord knows we need them to get more powerful. We need this caucus to grow and grow and grow, because I can only assume he continues to cut these deals because he doesn't have to worry about the Freedom Caucus. Do I have that wrong?
12: Well, we've got just a, really about a two vote margin right now. We're going to be a couple of members short this month. and It is very narrow and essentially we've got to have every Republican vote for something in order to advance it. However, the house ought to be the, more, the stronger of the two legislative bodies. We all, Having the house majority ought to mean something. It ought to result in something where we would at least get half of our priorities accomplished with the house majority. As you know the Senate has to have 60 votes to advance legislation. They've only got 51 Democrats, so they can't advance anything without 9 Republicans helping them. We don't have that rep- that problem in the Republican House. We can pass uh, policy and, and legis- legislation with just the votes of all Republicans. However, there is a difference among the Republicans. Not every Republican truly wants to cut spending. Not every Republican is truly willing to do whatever it takes to secure our border. Not every Republican is willing to walk away. If you're not willing to walk away from a deal, then you're going to lose in the deal every time.
5: Congressman, can you help me understand why every Republican doesn't think? Uh, I don't. I don't need them all to think like me or like you. But why are they not all universally concerned about the spending? This isn't Republican or Democrat, left, right, up. This is simple math. It's not even a prediction. It's not even an opinion. If we don't stop this, we're all going down. And yet nobody seems interested in stopping this. Neither party, I should say. I know individuals like you are. We're all going down if they don't stop.
12: You're correct that we didn't reach $34 trillion just because of the Democrat Party. Yes, the Democrat Party is better at spending than we are, and they don't even feel bad about it. At least most Republicans feel bad about it, it would seem. But when you're borrowing $200 billion a month, you've got unprecedented debt to GDP. Again, $34 trillion in debt, about a $2.5 $2. trillion deficit on an annual basis now. The interest on the debt's nearly a trillion dollars. Doesn't that matter? Don't we really care? how could we be willing to increase spending and not significantly cut spending even a year ago, what we were battling over coming out of the speaker battle and through the limit, save, grow battle into the debt ceiling battle. And then once again into the continuing resolution. So all the way through January through September with the previous speaker, The conservative position, the compromise conservative position, was to cut spending down to about 1.47 trillion, so maybe about 150 billion dollars over what is spent this year. If we would cut it by about 150 billion dollars, modest, frankly, not even one month's deficit, and we couldn't even get all Republicans to join us there. We couldn't get the previous speaker to join us there, and that was the dollars that the fight was over. Now we were fighting for policy change as well, but really one, one has to ask you know, to your question and, and I, I can't give you an answer. Why don't all Republicans truly care about our spending? Why aren't all Republicans truly committed to doing whatever it takes to get our fiscal house in order? Why would we allow this to happen on our watch with the house majority?
5: Alejandro Mayorkas, I have to ask you about this before I let you go. Well, here is that genius.
8: Migration, the challenge of displaced people, is a subject that comes up in every single conversation. We have the effects of climate change, poverty, increasing level of authoritarianism, the very many challenges that are at the root cause of the displacement of people around the world.
5: Okay, so the House is going to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, I believe, and that's fine. Obviously, he's a dirtball who should be impeached. He opened up our border. Is this going to prompt these people to do anything to secure the border, or are they just going to plug in another open borders hack in there?
12: Well, he has executing the policies of Joe Biden. Joe Biden is intentionally facilitating the border invasion. I went back to the border last week for my sixth time in the three years that I've been in Congress, and what struck me was how much effort The the administration is applying to try to prevent Texas from securing their border. From t- they are suing Texas and fighting Texas to prevent Texas from executing their own border security. As you know, the administration, Mayorkas, and you know, the president's spokesperson says, oh, we don't have the resources. We don't have the personnel. Congress hasn't given it to us. And yet when Texas tries to stand in the gap, stand in the breach and protect their citizens, the administration is literally suing them and fighting them to prevent them from doing that. This is on purpose. This is willful. This is intentional. Irreparable harm has been done. Yes, he deserves to be impeached. Yes, the president deserves to be impeached, but the Senate is unlikely to convict, as we know. And so I, I suspect that it will not continue the policies, but, or it will change the policies. But what would change it, Jesse, is if we refuse to fund this government that facilitates this border invasion. So we ought to be using this, this spending fight right now to say, We're going to fund national security, national defense, the essential things that keep Americans safe and secure and nothing else until the border is secure. That's what we ought to do as Republicans. That's what we've been calling on the speaker and the house leadership and the entire Republican conference to do. Let's stop funding this government. Let's stop giving them the money that's bankrupting us anyway. Most of the things the administration is doing, we don't agree with. Why do we keep giving them money to facilitate this border invasion?
5: Amen, Congressman. Go get them. Rooting for you. We're in your corner Thank
12: over you here. Good.
5: All right, let's talk about those states, the wonderful states. First, before we do that, really quickly, you know we have a special coming out on Francisco Franco El Caldeo of Spain. He had to go fight a civil war against a bunch of communists. Fascinating historical person, no matter who you think of, or no matter how you think of him, I should say. You have to go become a first TV supporter though to watch that special. Go to thefirsttv.com slash support and sign up today. You'll enjoy it. We'll be back.
11: If you believe he engaged in insurrection under the plain meaning of the 14th Amendment, you believe
12: he's ineligible to be president? Those laws, those are up to the states. They have different laws from state to state. I don't think he should ever amend the Constitution, but nonetheless, uh, but uh, that uh, there there is a view of the Constitution in Article 14, Section 3, that he should not be uh, able.
5: It's actually physically painful watching Grandma Vodka try to get through sentences anymore. Either way, it almost sounded like she was doing kind of a drunken pitch for states' rights. So I'm all on board. Joining me now, the great Andy Roth, president of the State Freedom Caucus Network. And Rick Bratton, we've never had him on this show before, state senator from the great state of Missouri and chairman of their Freedom Caucus, so we know he'll be okay. Andy, is that Grandma Vodka coming out for the 10th Amendment? I couldn't really tell what she was saying there. I think she needs to go on TV more
8: often. I think that's Ah, fantastic. ah. Uh, I mean, she's gonna just help uh, Donald Trump get more votes and, and get elected and be our next president.
5: Rick, uh, all right, let's, let's talk about this removing Trump off the ballot thing. Okay, it's dirty, it's horrible, we get that. That's what communists do, that's how they operate. Tell me why red states shouldn't begin removing Joe Biden off the ballot. Now, I don't wanna live in that kind of world. That, that, that sounds awful to live in that kind of country. But communists only understand fear and pain. You're not gonna reason with them. You're not gonna point out their hypocrisy and change their mind. Why shouldn't Missouri move him off the ballot tomorrow?
11: No, exactly. And that's what we have to do. We have to fight fire with fire with them uh, because they only understand, uh, you know, fighting back, you know, placating to the left and and playing the nice guy does not work with the, the communist radical left. Uh, So that's exactly what we have to do. And that's what uh, I filed a bill to do uh, was to combat that and fight back. Uh, At least if it goes to the Supreme court, well, you know, if they're, they're hoping for a, a, uh, decision on on one end or the other, it could potentially be beneficial to where, uh, you know, they just throw the whole thing
5: out and everybody remains on the ballot. Shoot, I'll take it. Andy, Missouri has a Freedom Caucus now. How'd that happen?
8: Yeah, I know, right? Uh, we're terribly excited about this. I, I've joked with Rick and others. I'm a native Kansas, so I should hate Missouri, but <laughs> when these guys uh, reached out to us and said they wanted to form a Freedom Caucus, we were ecstatic. So we've been working with them over the past couple of months. They're all a hardcore group of conservatives and they're already hitting the ground running uh, in Jefferson City. The establishment there has already responded negatively. They've already broken the rules of the state Senate because the Missouri Freedom Caucus has been loud on the floor. So I I think this is gonna be the beginning of a beautiful relationship and and a friendship and Missouri uh, citizens are gonna benefit the most out of it.
5: It's clearly one Missouri needs because they're they're leading on so many things, but Rick, I saw they're the 21st most conservative state. I go through this with Texas, so I understand. I hear how red Texas is, but we have the biggest weenies in the GOP here that never wanna do anything with any teeth at all. Is that what you're going through in the red state of Missouri?
11: Well, so-called red state. I mean, honestly, what we have in Missouri is is Democrats running as Republicans because they know they cannot get elected as the, the Democrats that they are. And I think that's what most states are facing. The electorate thinks that they're electing a super majority of Republicans to do big red things, uh, only to, to be disappointed year after year after year. And I think that's exactly why we have to, to uh, show where are the the conservative North star, uh, the actual patriots willing to to press in. Uh, and that that's what I loved about being a part of the uh, the Freedom Caucus and Andy and Justin and Greg and all the guys coming uh, alongside us to to help to uh, make this a fruition and really give uh, the grassroots something to to root for and to get behind.
5: Andy, make me feel better without lying to me. Are the red states getting better? The the GOP's in the red states. I'm not worried about the people. And I know this is a process as Rick just pointed out. But are you starting to see an improvement, a GOP with a little bit of a spine?
8: Yeah, and and, uh, just to talk our book, I think uh, the red states are going to get better because we now have state freedom caucuses in a lot of them. But let me give you one example. In Louisiana, our Louisiana Freedom Caucus was launched uh, about this time last year. They went into session. They fought like principled conservatives that they are. And because Louisiana is a little different, they had their elections in the fall. And because of the success of the Freedom Caucus, they were able to elect a lot of conservative lawmakers And so the Louisiana Freedom Caucus went from nine members now over to over 20 members. And in addition to that, they elected Jeff Landry, their AG, as their new governor. So for the first time, we have a state with a conservative governor and a state freedom caucus. So I've been telling everybody that will listen that Louisiana has the potential and the opportunity to take a run at Florida as being one of the most conservative states in the country.
5: Okay, so what's wrong with Texas, Andy? Do you not have my address or what? Come down to Texas. We need you to fix things down here. Well, I
8: mean, Texas is a Spanish soap opera as far as I'm concerned because of all the the troubles that they're going through. But I will tell you that there is a small number of lawmakers in the Texas House that could form a, a true Texas Freedom Caucus. So we're working on it and uh, eventually we'll, we'll get there and we'll
5: make sure you're, you're there and present for the launch. R- Rick, I, I'm very concerned about a very evil federal government, a, a federal government that's getting tyrannical by the day, frankly already is, and a federal government that's attacking its own citizens when the states don't ever fight back on behalf of those citizens is the future of these red states standing up against the federal government? Now, I'm not talking civil war crazy stuff, but shouldn't these red states look at themselves as protectors of their citizens instead of, oh, sure, Mr. FBI, please come kick in his door and gun him down?
11: Oh, absolutely. And if you have a, an actual founder's uh, vision of what this country was supposed to be, it was supposed to be the, the state's, you know, fighting back against a tyrannical federal government, that's exactly what we have. Unfortunately, like here in Missouri, we, everybody has for, for years loved the federal dollar. Now we have this federal control that's occurring in these states by, by the carrot and the stick approach. And, and now they don't want to have to push back in order to, to to push back for freedom and liberty because they're fearful of losing federal funds. So we've got to wean ourselves from from all this federal monopoly money they're printing and sending to the states, that way we we're able to, to have no strings attached to fight back. So that's where we really have to start.
5: When you meet with your fellow state senators, do they, are, are they aware of where we are nationally or do they seem painfully naive and you have to spend all your time shaking them to try to wake them up to how important this fight is now?
11: I don't think they realize it. I, I really think a lot of them are asleep at the wheel. Uh, they just want to go along to get along and, and just do the status quo. Now they look at Washington like, oh man, it's really bad out there. But but not even looking in their own backyard as to we're helping to facilitate the crazy by not standing for freedom and liberty, you know, not being that conservative conscience, uh, you know, because courage is contagious if, if we have our state delegations you know, being courageous, being loud, being vocal, hey, maybe our, our federal delegation will start to do the same thing, you know? So it, it can spread, but it takes bold leadership and willingness to do that. That's exactly what the, the Freedom Caucus brings to the table, I believe. And and hopefully that that contagion spreads through the land. Uh, because uh, honestly, I, we're at the precipice in my opinion, and that's what I tried to, to really express uh, to people, everybody I, I conversate with, I hope they realize the gravity of where we're at as a nation. Uh, yeah, so and, let, I don't really,
8: and let me add to that because, you know, in the past, the establishment or the swamp in the 50 states, they have enjoyed operating in the dark. What they do is they talk about how big and bad the federal government is, but then they take their money and then nobody questions them because nobody's paying attention to the state level. What our state Freedom Caucuses are doing is exposing that, making the voters aware of the duplicity of what these state lawmakers, the, the establishment is doing, and forcing them for the first time ever to answer for their duplicity in public in front of all the voters. That's what I love about this.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
4: And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
2: Mexico will likely have its first female president.
9: And then you have China.
5: All right, keep going. Andy, Rick, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it very much. Go get them. All right, it's time for Lighten the Mood. We have a very special one, a handicap version. Next. All right, it is time to lighten the mood. And every now and then on this show, we like to reach out to the less fortunate. Even on Light in the Mood, we like to reach out to the less fortunate and wish them the best. And he's been in the news a lot lately. We want to wish the great Stephen Hawking a very happy 82nd birthday, even though he's dead now and he's tied to Epstein Island. So happy birthday, Stephen. Wishing you the best, brother. I'll see you tomorrow.